yeah, it's Palm Sunday, which is great. It's the beginning of uh, all of our uh, kind of Holy Week uh, festivities and stuff. And so just as a reminder, I know you just heard of it. Let me hit it one more time. Uh, this Friday night, we have our Good Friday service here in this room. So uh, make it out to that. And then Saturday is the big carnival, all hands on deck, uh, just as we serve the community in, in really big ways that day. Uh, even, you know, it'd be great if you'd sign up, but even if you haven't signed up, just show up and find Janine or somebody else and say, hey, hey, how can I help? That, that's fine too. We'll put you to work. And then, uh, and then, yeah, next week, not, not at nine, not at 1045, but at 10, thank you, 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock next week at the high school gym. Uh, we'll have our Easter service. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're really looking forward to it. So yeah, you seriously don't want to miss it. Invite everybody you know. All right, so I want to talk, you know, as we've been kind of uh, uh, looking at patterns of behavior in Jesus's life, I'm going to hit this several times, I know, Um, patterns of behavior in Jesus's life and how we could, you know, if we can pick up on those patterns, is there something there for us to to emulate, something for us to, you know, pattern our own life after, because we want to be like Jesus. If you're a Christ follower, following Christ is being like Jesus, and so how do we do a better job at that? And so we've looked at several aspects of of uh, what Jesus' lo- life looked like. Um, but the one I want to hit on today, I think, bar none, uh, far and away, is how he spent the vast majority of his time. I mean, n- not even by a small margin, by a great, great margin. What we're going to talk about today is how he, Jesus spent the vast majority of his time. Pay no attention to the screaming. It's all going to be okay. It's all okay. <laughs> so anyway, so if you feel like screaming, go ahead and scream too. It's just, sometimes you just got to scream. So it's all right. Um, anyway, so, so this, this thing that we're going to talk about today, again, is, is, it's not even a close, whatever would be second is not even a close second. Uh, this thing is far and away how Jesus spent most of his time. And it's this. Um, actually, you know, I'm going to have you skip a couple slides. Skip, skip to the big point. Can you find the, there it is. The one habit that will make you most like Jesus is discipling youth. Discipling youth. If you look at Jesus' life and how he spent almost all of his time, it was with people younger than him discipling them. Like his life was, I mean, when you get into those last three years of his life, his ministry, it was spent hour after hour after hour, 24-7, 365 days a year, walking with youth, walking with people who were younger than him and teaching them how to live like him. That's how, and, then, and then everything else that we get in the Gospels that's just kind of peppered in, all the stories, all the miracles, all the healings, everything else that he did, all the confrontations with the religious leaders, that sort of thing, that, that's just like icing on the cake. But the cake, the main part of Jesus' life is this life spent discipling others, and in particular, young people. He, he, so it's all he did. It is, it is just all he did. It was all he was about. A lot of times, we've heard, you've heard me talk about this before, that when we think about Jesus' disciples because of the way they're usually portrayed in movies and stuff, we tend to think about them as middle-aged men, but that's just not true. They were all probably somewhere in the range of 16 or 17 to early 20s, young adult age, you know, upper high school age. Uh, that, that's, that's who his disciples were. 
and he poured into them. And I'm telling you, if you want to be like Jesus, the one thing that you can do to be like Jesus more than any other thing that you can do is pour into our kids, pour into our teens, pour into our young adults. Those things. Those things. Now, here's the thing. Like, I, I've been, <clears throat> you know, as, as a youth pastor before I came here, um, you know, I, I served in several different churches. And, <clears throat> and one of the things, that whenever you would interview, whenever I would interview at a church, um, one of the things that would always come up is uh, churches, I mean, inevitably every single time. It, it, it never didn't happen. Every single time when I would ask them, like, what's important to you as a church? Every single time the thing that came up is we want to reach youth. We want to reach youth. And so, and then what I learned as I became more experienced in interviewing, I would follow that question up with another question, which was, what are you willing to do to do that? What are you willing to do to do that? What, 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 is, what are you willing to give up? What are you willing to sacrifice? What are you willing to change to make sure that you're a church that actually does reach youth? Because if you're, all you're doing is expecting you know, to send out some sort of cry into the night of, hey, youth, show up to church, and you just want them to adapt to everything that you've got going on and that you love, then it's probably not going to work out that well for you. But what are you willing to do to actually draw in, disciple, reach youth for Jesus Christ? Whether they're, whether they're tiny, uh, toddlers, babies, or whether they're you know, high school students, or whether they're young adults. It's one of the things that actually drew me to Living Hope was uh, before I ever got here, Living Hope had decided we want to be a church that is, is, is trying the best we can to reach out to young adults. And we had a lot of conversations about how that happens. And I think sometimes we do a good job of it, and sometimes you know, we, there's still work to be done and you know, that sort of thing. But, but it's, a, it's a church that has decided, not to, not to the exclusion of others, but that we want to... Why do we want to reach young adults? Because nobody else is doing it. Because it's the lost generation, literally. The lost generation. It's, it's by and large, the generation that is post-Christian in America. And so if we're going to be a church that is, uh, as we've, I've talked about before, we're building that 100-year church. We're, we're not just building the church for us. We're building the church for our kids, our grandkids, our great-grandkids. Then we have, to, we have to make some adjustments. We have to make some changes, and that's all part of it. I just want to talk a little bit about like, what that looks like. And, and one of the things I want to do is I want to read this passage from Titus. Uh, Paul's letter to Titus. Uh, Titus was a pastor, and uh, Paul's writing to him. <coughs> Excuse me. In chapter 2, he says this. He says, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Hold on. <clears throat> teach what accords with sound doctrine. <clears throat> Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves of too much wine. They're to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled, 
Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Now, there's a lot of stuff in there. And I think a lot of times we get hung up on the details of this passage as if it's some sort of prescription for godly living, but I think that's actually secondary to what he's talking about. What he's first talking about is older people teach and model life for younger people. That's, that's the headline of this passage. That's the headline of this passage. Older people, and we're all older people, somebody's, young, somebody's younger than you. Everybody in here has got somebody younger than you, right? It's one of the things I love so much about, even about our youth group. Our youth group models this so well for the rest of us and the, the way that they serve in kids' church and the, the way that they you know, uh, disciple uh, younger teens and younger children and, and help bring them up. It's such a beautiful, beautiful thing that they do. Everybody, whether you're a teenager, a, a kid, a, an adult, an older adult, every, you've all, we've all got people that are younger than us. What are you doing to disciple those that aren't as far down the road as you are? To model life, to live a holy life in front of them, an exemplary life in front of them, and actually model that what it looks like to live the Christian life. I've talked a lot over the years about some of the dysfunctional churches I've been, I was a part of as a, as a younger person and then even as a youth pastor. And, and I've, I may have um, sold that a little heavy. And, and, and if you ever got the impression that I was saying people from those churches were just straight evil, then, then I apologize because that was not the impression I meant to give. The truth is people in those churches, is, as misguided as they may have been, were people who loved Jesus. There are people who loved Jesus. They, they, they were just wrong about some things. They're, and it's not, not evil, just wrong. And we're all wrong from time to time, right? So not evil people, just wrong about, about some things. But one of the things I can say beyond a shadow of a doubt, when I look back, especially in my childhood years, and my teenage years, is that I was discipled well in the Word. I was discipled really, really well in the Word. That God, for whatever reason, um, you know, had me in churches where older people teaching the Word to younger people was, uh, was very, very important in those environments. And so, I, I mean... And growing up in the Sunday school classes and the children's church, you know, things and the youth groups that I grew up in, even though I, we didn't have like a big flashy youth group, pretty, pretty much our youth group was me and my brother um, and, and maybe one other family, right? And, and so it, it, was, it was not, you know, we didn't have the big events. That was the Southern Baptist Church. They had all the cool kids and all the cool events and the cool youth pastor and all that kind of stuff. So they, they were the ones that had, had the thing going on. Go to the South, trust me. Look up the first Baptist church in any town. That's where it's going on, I guarantee you, all right? And so, so anyway, but, but, it, but we just had this very small group of kids that uh, we, were just, we were just good friends. And we had people uh, that were not necessarily well-trained, that were not uh, professionals, uh, professional ministers or anything like that, just people in the church who loved teens or loved kids that would rally around us. And as a kid, I can remember all the things, you know, we had all these, all these competitions and things that revolved around the Word of God. And it was, you know, so in a Sunday school class, it might be something like, 
hey, if you learn the Ten Commandments, if you memorize the Ten Commandments, then everybody gets a Hershey bar or something like that. And so we were all about the Hershey bar, so of course we're going to learn Ten Commandments, you know. And so, but it was just this kind of drilling that kind of stuff into our head as a as a, kind of growing up, getting older into into like youth group setting. It was just these people who would who would just take us through the Scripture in this really casual way and, and try to model for us what it looked like to be a Christian, even though I'm sure they were trying to figure it out along the way themselves. But there was just this... And, and here's the thing, that studies have, have borne this out, that it, the thing that... The, 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 uh, the difference maker in terms of whether a kid will stay in church after they become an adult or, or whether they won't has nothing to do with the size of the youth group has nothing to do with whether or not they had a professional youth pastor. It has everything to do with were they in relationship with other adults who knew Jesus and was trying, just trying to model life for them. It's all about that. And I think a lot of times, you know, if, if I've talked to a lot of you who you will look at the young people in our church and you have a heart for them. You're so thrilled that they're here. You're so thrilled to be a part of a church that has young people. And it is thrilling. It's awesome. It's awesome because some of you maybe come from other churches where that wasn't the case. And, and, and you know as well as I do that when, when you, the church loses all of its youth, um, there's an expiration date for that church. There's an ex, it's just, it just becomes a dried up, um, dead church. Just by default, there's something about youth that that injects not only life and energy, but I'm not even going to go. I'm even go further and say the Holy Spirit into what we're doing here. And and when you and so I talk to you, I, you guys recognize that you love being a part of a church, but I think some of you feel very ill-equipped or very uncool, or very uh, out of the loop, or whatever else, and so you feel like, I don't have anything to offer uh, a teenager. I don't have anything to offer um, a fourth grader, or, 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 or a young adult, a young adult. And I'm not, I'm not necessarily categorizing young adults in the same category as kids, but, but people who are trying to figure out what adulting looks like, right? And so... We, we tend to kind of just kind of withdraw, and we're happy they're there, but we're not sure how we can make a difference. And the truth is, the thing that makes the most difference, you know this, if you're a parent, you know this. If you're an aunt or an uncle, you know this. The thing that makes the most difference in the life of a kid is just presence. Not like wrapped with a bow. <laughs> That'd be great too, though. Um, that's what makes the most difference in the life of a pastor. No, I'm just teasing. So, um, <laughs> no, um, what, it's your presence in their life. You just, are you there? Are, just to be the smiling face. I, I was in a, uh, leading a youth group once years ago where uh, we had uh, this, this older couple. I mean, they were well into their 70s. Uh, they couldn't play all the crazy youth group, youth group games that we played, uh, whatever, but they, they loved the fact that we had so many teens in our church and they just wanted to help. And, uh, and so they were our youth group greeters. And they, I mean, every kid that, got, that walked in, they got a smile, they got a hug. Uh, you know, they would, they, they, they did, this was an older couple. They didn't need a minivan anymore, but they drove a minivan just so they could loan it to the youth group. Just for that reason, no other reason. And, and, and I mean, they just, they were like, there's not a lot we can do. We don't even understand half of what they're saying. But we, 
but we want to be here for them. We want to, we want to contribute to what's going on. We want to make a difference. And, and before too long, you know, five, six months down the road, this, this simple, um, just, just humble older couple became the favorite youth workers of every kid in that group. Because they always got a hug. They always got a smile. They just felt valued by these people. Now, and, 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 and could they give the, the, the talk that was super relevant and hip? And no, 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 not necessarily. You know, could, they, could they play capture the flag in the dead of night in the woods? No. And we probably shouldn't either, by the way. <laughs> Matt, Matt, Matt injured my son once. I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm just saying. <laughs> so, anyway, but, but no, but all these things. I mean, they maybe they couldn't do all that, but they did what they could, and they did it in a way that made a legitimate difference. A legitimate difference. There were kids that couldn't go to, um, you know, couldn't afford to go to camp. They were going to find a way to pay for them. They were, they were going to find a way to make sure everybody felt included and felt valued. They were going to seek out that, that kid that was feeling a little out of sorts with everybody else and kind of sitting in the back and, and, uh, and put an arm around him and try to encourage him. I mean, it's just simply your presence in the life of our, of, our, of our youth, whether they're young adults or children or teens, it doesn't matter. Your presence makes a huge, huge difference. Some of you do a really great job at this, and you... You do things like, you know, you, you open up your homes to people, to young people all the time, and, and you know, you just kind of have an open-door policy at your house with people like that, and, and, and it's, really, it's really amazing. It's really, some of, us, some of us maybe struggle a little bit with it. Some of us, you know, maybe we get around kids and, and uh, we start getting anxious, you know, because it feels a little out of control or, or whatever else, and whatever, but... I just want to ask you as followers of Jesus Christ, if you, and I believe you do, if you really, really and truly want to be like Jesus, who in your life younger than you are you pouring into in some way? Who in your life younger than you are, are, you, are, you, are you kind of offering your life to in some way? It's critical. I'm a different man because of the way Adults that cared about me as a young boy took care of me, encouraged me. We would do the, you know, we kind of had a kid Sunday here. We would do, at the church my dad pastored one, one time, we would do these youth Sundays. And, and, uh, and since I was the pastor's kid, everybody thought I would be the perfect Sunday school teacher for the senior adult class as a seventh grader. <laughs> So I was like, okay, here we go, you know, and, and uh, just, you know, feeling very ill-equipped. But I just remember the, the teacher, an older gentleman, retired Army guy um, of that class, uh, he, he said, hey, I hear you're teaching my class for me, you know, this Sunday. And I was like, yeah. And I, he's like, do you want me to help you prepare for that? I was like, sure. I just remember going to his house and sitting out on his back deck, and we just opened the Word, and we just talked through the lesson. We just talked through that scripture. We read it together. He's like, what do you think this means? I think it means this. He's like, yeah, it might mean this too. And we you know, just kind of going back and forth. And, uh, and just, you know, he's like, now when I teach, I kind of do this, this, this. You know, this is kind of the order I do things. And, 
And I was like, okay, that's good to know. It was just this one-on-one time with this guy that, that just, and, and, and by the way, there, were, there weren't a whole lot of other one-on-one times I had with this guy, but man, that sticks in my head. Man, that one time, I mean, it super sticks in my head that he would take the time to help some punk kid figure out how to teach a bunch of senior adults. And it was valuable time. I can remember at the same, that same church, a youth pastor I had. He was not a professional youth pastor, but he was the best youth pastor I ever had in my life because he was, he was so much fun. He was kind of a middle-aged man, so much fun, and, and just... He was the life of the party everywhere he went, and you just wanted to be around this guy. He was, his name was Dean. And, and I can remember just hanging out with Dean. And in my house, we, had, I mean, we didn't have a lot of money. I mean, I can remember several times where we were like, where's the next meal coming from? We just didn't have a lot of money in my house. And, and so money was a big thing in my view. Like, it, it, was, a, it was larger than life to me as a, you know, junior high, early high school age kid, and, and I, I, I just, it was probably way too important to me because we had so little of it, right? And, um, and I remember uh, just driving, he, he ran the sporting goods shop in town, it's where everybody went to get their letter jackets, it's where everybody went to get all their, you know, basketball sneakers, everything else, you know, so, so I used to love going to his shop and just browsing around and looking through the baseball cards and all that kind of stuff, and so I remember uh, one day uh, we were going to, I was going to do something with him, I can't remember what it was, but I was in the car with him. And we left his shop. We're headed down the road. We got about a mile down the road, and he he freaks out. He's driving. And all of a sudden, he goes, "Oh, oh no!" And and I was I'm like, "What's going on?" You know. And he whips the car over. He's like, he realized that he had taken the money drawer out of the cash or the, the tray out of the cash register and set it on top of the car and drove off. Right. So as soon as he says, yeah, that was my reaction too. And so as soon as he says why he's upset, I'm expecting hell to rain down because money just plays such a huge, or the lack thereof just plays such a huge role in, in my life and in my family's life. And it was just something that we were constantly worried about. And I just thought, oh my gosh, he's going to lose his mind. And uh, instead he gets out, he looks, he finds a couple of you know, dollars in the ditch. He's lost most of it. It's just blowing away by now. He, but he just, he was still in the best mood. And I was just, I was just expecting him to be uh, just fraught because all this money had been lost. And instead, he just gets in the car, he's smiling. He's like, oh, well, it's just money. It was the first time in my life I had ever heard anybody say, oh, well, it's just money. But I, I remember that day and I remember that story because this guy let me tag along with him for a day in his life, and I got to see him go, oh, well, it's just money. And that made such a huge impact on me about what's really and truly important in life. I, 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 I could go person after person after person all the way through growing up. As a, as a young adult, I remember as a young man, in, you know, 20, 21 years old in the Army, and, the, and I was a chaplain assistant, the chaplain that I worked for, uh, Chaplain Sullivan, such a great man, and he poured so much into me and taught me a lot about being a man and taught me a lot about um, of just, you know, kind of how society pulls the wool over our eyes about a lot of things. He just taught me so much. And I can remember just, again, car rides and conversations and things that would come up. I said, they're, they're very clear in my head still. You know what I don't remember any of? Sermons. <laughs> There's only a handful of sermons that I heard as a child or a 
teenager or young adult that stick in my head, just a handful. And I heard hundreds, if not thousands, of sermons. What I remember is time, conversation. That's what's critical in sharing the faith and the hope that you have with someone younger than you. Jamie and I have been so blessed over the years since we've been here of the way so many of you have, have kind of circled around our kids and helped us, raise the, helped us raise them. You know, there have been times when we were struggling with, through things with them, trying to get them to see reason about a particular whatever. And, uh, of course, we're mom and dad, so they're not going to listen to us. And, but we knew there were some of you that we could trust and that they looked up to and that they, they thought you were a little bit cool or whatever. And, and you'd spend a little time with them, take them shopping, take them to a movie, take them, you know, whatever, just, just hang out. And if they would hear truth from you that we had been trying to tell them and suddenly they hear it from you and it's like, oh my gosh, this person's so smart. And we're just like, yeah, he's, he's so smart. You know, right? Yeah, you know, like, like, but, but it's been such a blessing in our life to have people that are like-minded, different, but like-minded, help us raise our kids. And, and I know my kids will be able to tell stories someday similar to what I just shared with you of how they were so impressed and changed. Their views about things maybe changed because of conversations that they had with so many of you. And it, this, is, this is important stuff. It's really important stuff. I can, I, I can remember times in, in, in kids' church as a kid. And, 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 just, just lessons and songs and, and things. I can, I can still sing you all, almost all the songs we sung in kids' church from when I was five years old. I can still remember those lessons and remember those object lessons and things like that that, that, that somehow made the Bible, made the Word of God come alive. I remember those things, and those things are valuable to me. And again, it wasn't because the teacher was the greatest teacher in the world necessarily. It was just somebody who made themselves available and offered a smile and seemed glad to see me and... That made all the difference in the world. It really did. So I, I, I want to encourage you this morning, like, as you're thinking now about your life, just ask yourself that question. If I'm going to be like Jesus, if, I, if I'm going to develop the one habit that Jesus far and away spent most of his time doing, discipling people younger than me, like, what needs to change in my life for that to become a reality? What needs to re get rearranged? What priorities need to be shifted for that to become a reality? And I, and I ask this to everybody, whether you're 10 or whether you're 90. Same question. Who younger than you are you discipling? Are you helping draw closer to, to Jesus? And if, you, if, you have a trouble, if you're having a hard time coming up with that answer... Then, then let me just encourage you to kind of take stock and shift some things around in your life. Make some time for that. I just think it's, it's absolutely critical. Like, I remember when I, when I got to uh, Bible college and uh, started taking classes, like Bible and theology classes and stuff like that. I can remember going through those classes and so many people around me uh, so many other students around me, that information that was being taught was brand new to them. 
brand new. And for me, it, is what, it was what had been drilled into my head in Sunday school for as long as I can remember. As long as I can remember. And I, and I got to go deeper into those Sunday school lessons and, and take that information in a deeper way, but I felt so prepared for that, not because, again, I had the professional youth pastor or the, or the what. I felt prepared for that because of the dozens of people in my life who had sat down with me either in a classroom setting or a one-on-one setting or, or whatever and just opened up the word and made it come alive to me in some way, in some way. And this is the legacy I want us to leave our kids. Do I want us to have an environment of kids' church and youth group and things like that that is so appealing and so fun? Absolutely. Fun, is, fun is, comes at a, a high value around here. We want our kids to be having a great time. But what I really look forward to is hearing from these kids somewhere down the road when they begin to tell us stories of conversations that they had with many of you in this room. Well, you'll never, you know, it was such a small thing. You may not even remember it, but it made a big difference in my life. It stuck, it stuck. It, it, it changed the way I thought about things. It made Jesus seem approachable. It made the Christian life seem doable just because of that little conversation, that little time that you spent with me. So let's be the church um, that really kind of puts its uh, money where its mouth is. Like if we're going to be that church that says we love kids, then let that be shown by the time that you spend with them. If you're going to be that, we're going to be that church that says we really love teenagers, then let that be shown by the time that you spend with them. If you're going to be a church that says we want to reach the generation that everybody is struggling to reach, the young adults, then let that be shown by the time that you spend with them, the way you invest in them. Like let, let's be that church. Let's be that church. I know for some of you, it makes you a little nervous to even think about that. It's just not your cup of tea or whatever. But I'm telling you, there are ways that you can, there are ways that you can help. There are ways that you contribute. There are the ways that you can lift them up, encourage them, and show them value. The last thing I would ever want is for any young person from zero to 25 or so, you know, I would, I would never want any young person to come into Living Hope and feel like nobody there cares about me. They're just doing their own thing. It's not about me. It's not about, you know, I mean, like, I've been in so many churches where all the young people had left and gone on to other, either left church altogether or gone on to other churches where they felt like, you know, it was more relevant to them in their lives or, or whatever. And been in that church where all the older people are sitting around going, what happened? What happened? And, and you can kind of look. You can just kind of look left to right and look at, the, look at the services and look at the way they do things. Look where they spend their time and where they spend their money to see what's important to them. And, and it's become so obvious what happened. What's that, what's that phrase that we say around here so, so often that, um, that we are the church... Um, the church, is not, uh, the church is not here for us. We are the church, and we're here for the world. The church is not here for us. It's not, about, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about we as a church, as a group of people, 
realizing that we're here for the world and we'll do whatever it takes, anything short of sin, to reach people who don't know Jesus. We'll do whatever it takes. So let's be that church. Like we've kind of built a, a, um, a model for church here that we feel like works. But, you know, Rob and I and some of us, some of the other leaders, we're constantly having conversations about, like, is it? Is it really? Is it still, is it still working? Is there something that needs to change? I mean, I, I still believe there are ways of doing church that nobody's thought of yet. And so let's be that, that group that's constantly pushing in terms of how we do church, what's going to most reach people. But then just on a smaller level, on a kind of relational level, push ourselves to be like, you know, this is how I've, I've started working it out in my life. Like, I, I, I haven't found a way to systematize it yet. So I've just learned to start listening to the Holy Spirit. And so, like, I can't help everybody. I just can't. I can't help it. I can't be that mentor to every kid. I can't disciple every adult. I, I just can't do that. But what I can do is when God makes some name or face stick in my head, um, I can reach out to that person. And I think the Holy Spirit works that way way more often than we give him credit for. How many times just in your, in your drive, in the shower, in the, you know, wherever, just walking around the neighborhood, something, or maybe just waking you up in the middle of the night, somebody just pops in your head and, you, and you're just like, wow, where did that come from? Why am I thinking about that person? And I can't tell you how many times, like the vast majority of the time, if God puts someone in my head and I reach out, to, I just shoot him a text. Hey, I just had you on my mind. I was just wanted to know I was praying for you. I hope everything's going well. How often I get back a response of crisis. Like, oh my gosh, I can't, thank you so much for praying me. And then I get, they start unloading all the stuff that's going on in their life. And it's like, yeah, God meant for me to reach out to that person. So, yeah, maybe, maybe you find a way to systematize mentoring kids, and that's great too, but maybe if, you, if one of them just kind of popped into your head, you, you know, called their parent and said, hey, I, I've just had your kid on my mind. Would you mind if I, I don't know, took him out for a Coke or something like that? You know I mean? Whatever. Just reach out. Just reach out in that way. I think that's, I think that's so much more valuable than what we realize. And, and I think in those conversations, in those intentional times, lives are changed. You may not lay out the Christian theology perfectly, but who wants that, right? Who wants that? It could just be in the car ride of you letting somebody tag along with you for a day or an afternoon that they just by happenstance see something in your life that impacts them and you weren't even intending that. They might miss totally the thing that you were intending to share with them. But they just see something that, that makes them go, wow, I haven't seen that before. That's different. I want more of that. So let's be that church. The one habit that will make you most like Jesus is discipling you. It's true. It's very true. So let's pray this prayer with me that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, we just want to be more like you. 
And if us um, investing time and energy and maybe even a little cash into um, the youth that you've placed our way, whether they're, again, adults that are young or all the way down to the nursery, if, if, if us investing in them is going to make us more like you, then that's what we want to do. So God, I pray that you would just help us uh, be more aware of the blessing that the youth of this church are and, um, and help us to uh, contribute to the flourishing of that blessing in some way. Father, we love you and we just thank you. We thank you that you have seen fit to uh, fill this church full of young people who are growing more and more passionate about you all the time. Thank you for seeing fit to fill this church with with uh, older people who um, allow that to happen and and um, and even help it grow and help it um, become even more than what it is now. And so God, make our church more like you. Make our ourselves and individually more like you. Um, and uh, and I got to pray that you would just guide us and lead us in the way that we try to lead and guide um, and, and steward the amazing gift that you've given us in young people. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.